people ask me all the time, what has been your experience as a woman in fintech or financial service? And I always say, in my mind, my challenge since I was a youngster in the professional world, in my mind, I was never thinking about me being a woman. I was always thinking, oh, I'm a foreigner. So that, that was the same different accents where sometimes I didn't understand them. So there was this limiting belief in my mind that I was not from the UK. Uh, so I think because of that, I felt that just to be average, let's say, I have to go the extra mile because I had to prove myself because I was not, quote unquote, one of them. I don't know if that's true or not, but probably that's looking back. That's what I was trying to do. Because you asked me, how did that shape me? So what I did, it's like I went into all these big corporates and because I need to work harder to be normal, then I learned a lot and I became really good at what I do just by default of trying to be normal. And probably all that was in my mind. So that was key. I don't know if I would have done the same in the same way if I could have stayed home, for example. Uh, because, yeah, I was a woman in a male-dominated environment and a foreigner. So I, I felt like I had to pedal twice as much. Welcome back to an all-new episode of the All Immigrant Podcast. I am your host, Abin. I am once again joined by my co-host, Vivek. Vivek, how are hey. things, my friend? It's good for 7 a.m. and getting a <laughs> Chicago is getting a little bit cold now, but it's awesome, honestly. I think Vivek and I are taking turns in doing early morning podcasts. The last one was me. Uh, I was up at 7 a.m. and this time it's him. So we're just trying to like make this, this time difference work. Well, at least I'm a morning person, right? So I wake up at, I wake up at 5.45 anyway. So that's, that, that's helpful, I guess. Yeah, I mean, fair, yeah, compared to me, I am not a morning person. So that was, the last one was a struggle for me. So at least I'm glad this somehow fit into your schedule. But awesome, okay, so I think... Yeah, I think we should start talking amongst ourselves and introduce our guest, uh, yes. where are our manners. Uh, I would like to welcome uh, to the episode, Monica Miares. I apologize if I've got that wrong, but I, I, I tried my best. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, uh, so Monica is a product leader, uh, in a financial well-being advocate, and a passionate advocate for diversity in the financial sector. With over a decade of experience in the fintech industry, Monica has left an indelible mark on the industry. Monica's journey is nothing short of extraordinary. She began as a junior analyst with global giants like Visa and Barclay Card. And from there, she became one of the pioneering team members of the UK challenger Tandem Bank. Her role involved building a digital bank from scratch and collaborating with the CEO on strategic initiatives and board management. But Monica's story doesn't stop there. She played a pivotal part in launching and growing Big Pay, which is now one of the largest neo banks in Southeast Asia, with a staggering 1.37 million users. Her work has spanned continents from the UK to Mexico and Asia, and she's established herself as a strong, empathetic, and resilient leader in every environment. Monica is not just a fintech professional, she's also a podcaster, hosting Purpose Driven Fintech, a podcast focused on building fintech companies the right way. She's also committed to mentoring the next generation of professionals in the industry. Today, we'll dive into Monica's remarkable journey as an immigrant and how it has influenced her work in the fintech space her perspective on making fintech more human, and the lessons she's learned from her experiences in corporate and startup environments. Monica, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, guys. The pleasure is mine. Thanks for such a good introduction. Wow, that was, uh, that's quite a, it's quite a remarkable journey thus far, <laughs> Monica. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. We have so many questions, uh, questions for you. So I'm just going to kick it off, you know, and, and let's build from there. Um, so. So, you know, one of the things uh, that, that we found um, on your story was that you, you, you made a, you made quite a major switch, right? So you were, you were, you, you took up a role in product and account management after you had your education in, in industrial engineering and management information systems. So this, this is quite a drastic pivot. So what are some of the circumstances that led to that pivot? Well, if we put context, this is, I studied in just industrial engineering back in Mexico. My first job was in a bank in Mexico. And the context, like the thing that triggered the pivot was I wanted to, st to study my master's abroad, not in Mexico, but I wanted to go abroad and have that context, that, that experience. So I did. I did move to London. I went to LSE. I was always a good student. So, you know, I got all my distinction degrees and all that stuff. But then I guess like this is where going abroad for one year is fun and everyone wants to do it. 
But then when you make the decision to, I want to stay, that's when you become a real immigrant, right? And the life of of uh, living on your own outside of your country, like the real life, not the student life, that's when it begins. And basically the pivot was, I had just moved to the UK, well, I finished my master's and I was like, I want to stay whatever it takes. It was a want to stay whatever it takes. And I, and this is 2008. So it was like in the middle of the financial crisis. Yeah. yeah, 2008, 2009. I had a loan to pay for the master's, but even with everything, I was like, I don't want to stay in London <laughs> because I wanted to move from being a student because I, I didn't have money when I went as a student. So, you know, there's, I always said, there's three types of students, the wealthy students, the average students, and the students in a budget. I was a student in a budget. So I was like, I want to stay in London and experience London with a bit more money, not just a student in a budget and then pass them to you now all the time. So that kind of pushed me to be like, and I need to find a job. And that's where kind of the, I guess like the passion and resilience and determination kicked in because like, given that we were in the middle of the crisis and I was a foreigner, um, it's just like application after application after application after application after application for months, getting rejection after rejection. And then until, you know, until one day you get a job. So it's not like I chose my next job. Yeah. It just was the job that I got in London. And I was like, yes, I got a job. <laughs> That makes so much sense because I think uh, as immigrants, uh, you know, you said the whatever it takes, right? That whatever it takes is is something that I believe every immigrant has faced because there are always those those moments where you're stretched and you and you are trying to survive and you you know you you just take whatever you find, and I think that you know that makes perfect sense. Uh, if, even even for someone like me who's who I, I I didn't have the struggle of having to find a job because I moved as an immigrant with a job. But in my mm -hmm. case as well, you know, there were different challenges within my job that made me, that stretched me and asked me, hey, do you really want this? And it made me question, you know, and then I said, okay, I have to, I, whatever it takes, I have to stay on and I have to see the path that I chose and I have to see it through. So I completely understand the whatever it takes is, is it's kind of like the slogan for every immigrant, right? Yes. And I've never thought about it, but yeah, it's like whatever it takes. I even remember I finished uni. I did not have a job. I had money for the next three months. My auntie gave me like a thousand dollars extra so that I could stay. And I signed the rent contract with a friend. I was like, I was like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, if I don't figure it out, then I'm sure we'll find someone to replace me. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> someone to, to rent the room. Right. But um, yeah, I went to that degree of whatever it takes. Just like, a little bit of faith, sign the rent contract, and we'll figure it out. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it, at those moments really show you how resilient you can be. Because much like, I mean, for you it was the two thousand eight crisis. For me, it is twenty twenty. So I was in my final year of grad school, and uh, in March, and I was going for an. I said this story on the podcast several times, but I was going up to intern with the Zeiss Group, and overnight they were like, "Okay, we're not going to. We can you can complete the internship, but we're not going to hire you because it's a hiring freeze." And that was the least of my concerns, I think, because there was suddenly this pandemic that came out of nowhere. And the main idea was trying to stay alive in a country where healthcare is so expensive. And it just, there were, there were so many different factors that came to play, like, like much like your rejection after rejection. Finally, you're in a scenario where you can't be, a, you can't, you're a, it's a beggars can't be choosers kind of a situation, right? You land into your next job. And that's kind of what happened to me as well after so much struggle. And it's just one of those things where like, okay, fine, let when you can't make your own path, let the path guide you. Oh, I like that. I should have. Hmm, I, I, you know what? I, I would like to say I came up, I practiced that line. I, I, I just came up with it on the spot. <laughs> it's a good line. It's a good line. <laughs> Thank you. It's a good thing uh, to record it so you can remember what it is later, Abin. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Mark, uh, moving on. So your life has been characterized by so many geographical pivots from Mexico to London, which you just spoke about, and then to Malaysia. Walk us through some of the key changes in those circumstances that led you to those moves. And you spoke mm, to us about London, yes. but how did you move from London to, to Malaysia? Yes. So that one, I say, it was a little bit of luck. I was very well prepared and I had the courage to say yes, because this is like fast forward nine years later, 
I'm in the UK. Like, like I said, I always worked in financial services, but it was traditional financial services. Back in 2013, 14, the concept of what we call fintechs started coming up, right? So it's like new digital banks. Oh, we're going to disrupt the industry, banking is broken. And then I met an entrepreneur. And same, it's like kind of like we met, we interviewed, but it was just the right time where banking is broken. The Bank of England had only given one banking license in the past 100 years. We did not have a banking license. We did not even have a name. It was a concept. <laughs> and, and this guy, Ricky Knox, who's an amazing entrepreneur, was like, yeah, but like we're building a bank from scratch. No one has ever done this in the past 100 years. Banking is broken. We need to do something about it. And basically, I jumped from Barclays, big corporate, stable job to go and work in this startup. That's it. I was it, I was one of the very first joiners, which was amazing. So I get to learn a lot. And as part of that journey, then the startup also went through its ups and downs. And at some point, we had a fundraising crisis. During that time, I got a phone call. And it was, hey, this opportunity, Nisha, to start a new bank, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, 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 I'm very happy in the UK. <laughs> and then a month later, same guy. Hey, remember, I told you about this opportunity. I was like, yeah. I, I genuinely, that time I answered by chance. You know, the, one of those times that you have an unknown number, but somehow you answered. And I did, and it was this guy. And he was like, the founders are here. They really want to meet you. Why don't you go? There's nothing to lose. Just go for a coffee, nothing to lose. And that's the, that's the phrase that caught me. I was like, wow. well, actually, that's a good point. There's nothing to lose. Let's just go for a coffee. And that's it. Like, uh, after many interviews, this, the other, da, 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 I always say they brainwashed me, I brainwashed myself. And then here we go. I decided to leave the UK. Then I moved to Malaysia to start a, a new bank again. But the big difference was in the UK, I was kind of part of the junior team helping the founders. And I did learn a lot. I had a ton of exposure in the bank. And then when I moved here, I was moving as part of the leadership team. So it was different because it was very young leadership team still, but it was part of the leadership team repeating what I had already done in the UK. So it was kind of a hashtag the Asian adventure. And I just went for it. Wow, that's, that's, that's the amazing. context. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. That's that's very bold, you know. So um, yeah, it was super bold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that dovetails into my into the you know the ne next thought I had you know very well. So uh, you move again, you know, three different countries, uh, and you were each time you 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 were you were chasing something. When you moved to London, you were chasing a passion of yours where you wanted to live live in the UK. When you moved here, you were chasing this this amazing opportunity, and you wanted to see how that unraveled. Uh, but but let's talk personally, right? How were these moves for you personally? Because you know you were you were leaving. I think in the first move, you're leaving your family behind, moving to a moving to a, a place where you wanted to live in. You probably were really enjoying your life there, and then you you left this behind and you moved to another country, which is you know in a completely different part of the world. So walk us through your your, your journey personally, uh, some of the challenges you face, as well as you know some of the things you felt as an immigrant that were different in this in these three countries. Yeah, I think that's the most important question because no one really asks that slash focuses on that unless you're an immigrant, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know the reality. Yeah. Uh, so when I moved to the UK, probably the first year was quote unquote easy because you go to uni, you have your friends, you know, it can be tough, but like you have your friends and it's like, yay, student life and you party and you study. You, like I was very quote unquote nerd, <laughs> uh, but like <laughs> you study, you party, whatever. But I was not a party party girl, but more like a study girl. But then the challenge goes started at the end of the program when we're in the middle of the crisis and then all my friends left, everyone left, only like a handful of people, all the people I knew, we stayed and had a job. And then it, that's when reality hits because then you're like, oh, I'm on my own in London. I don't know anyone. It's dark. It's rainy. I did have an amazing job because, I mean, 
it was a job at Visa, right, in the UK. So it was a really good job. But at the same time, the culture shock was bigger because that's when I realized, like, I come from a Latin background, like I'm Mexican, I'm loud and I'm expressive and I'm like, I'm a hugger, <laughs> you know? <laughs> when I was in the UK, I was more like, oh, you don't hug. Just like I hug when we say hi, I, I hug a stranger. But in the UK, it was more like, oh, cannot hug. Or even at work, like I felt like I had to be very serious and I couldn't be myself and I felt caged. So after, shortly after I, I finished uni and I started working, I went through what I call the quarter of a life crisis. And it, that quarter of a life crisis but was because of that, because I was on my own in a different country where I felt like I didn't really fit slash I couldn't be myself. So I went through a journey of personal discovery, personal everything <laughs> to kind of go back to being me. And it took time, but uh, then you get comfortable um, being yourself again. So how is like, I mean, I know this is, this is not in the list of, list of questions we'd ask, but like okay. when you moved to Southeast Asia, how different was that from you? Because you'd spent nine years in the UK and like, again, you've had to, you had to change again. What was that change like? Okay. I'll summarize it very simple. Hmm. I cried for the first three months, almost every single day. I never swear. I never swear. But the first three months I swear every single day and my family, they laughed because, because I never swear. And then you have me on the phone. Oh, this is blah, 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 blah. And they were like, oh, you're so funny. <laughs> like, this is not funny. Blah, 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 blah. It was, <laughs> it was very difficult because then exactly when I moved to the UK, like I said, when you move as a student, you have a network and you're studying with the other. Here, I was moving to different continent, different country. I didn't know anyone, different job. It was not the same company, different boss. Like it, everything was new. And what I always say is I underestimated the amount of change that I was going to go through because I did. And I overestimated my ability to make friends. I'm sociable most of the times, but this time it was, it took me way long, like way longer to adapt. So it was very, very, very difficult, especially the first three months. I've been here six years, right? So it's like you <laughs> adapt. Uh, but even you, though you've been here six years or nine years in the UK, it's never a smooth sailing like if you were at home because there's always yeah. something here away from home. I feel like, you know, the, the, the two kinds of challenges that immigrants face, one is uh, adapting culturally to the country that they're living in, which is which you, you, you touched upon. And the second one is is kind of finding finding connects uh, with people similar to them and finding finding themselves in a sense, right? because you lose yourself a little bit when you are thrown into this new environment where you don't you, you can't connect with people. You're, you're constantly learning. And then you're also trying to figure out, hey, who who am I? You know, in all this, who am I? And I, I feel like if you make that change to like so frequently, like you did, it, it could, it's really, it could really like just, you know, kind of confuse you for some time because you're like, Hey, what's, what's going on here? And who am I? Right. So I think that stability, which maybe you're found now is, is probably helping you because, because now you feel like, Hey, you know, I, I know who I am. I'm, I'm finding that stability, which, which is important. And I, it, I know it sounds really easy to just take your bags, start a new life in a new country, but. I think the, the emotional part of that journey is something that we don't talk about as, as much as we should. Uh, totally agree. Yes. And stability is important as well. So uh, I think the one question, you know, I mean, we spoke a lot about uh, your, your, some of your personal uh, journey as you moved, as you moved across countries. Um, we do have a question around fintech specifically. So, uh, and your experience in fintech, uh, you, you, you didn't mention you work, you worked with big companies and you also worked with a startup and you went through some of the, the motions of working in a smaller company. What did you enjoy about working in each type of company and how did that shape you as an individual? Hmm. I guess like the first half of my career when I worked in the big banks, then or corporates, that's where I learned quote unquote, how to work. 
So it's like the structure. That's where I learned how the financial services industry works, uh, the governance, the, yeah, how a bank works, how to work with incorporate. And that shaped me in the sense that, I guess, as uh, many people ask me all the time, what has been your experience as a woman in fintech or woman in financial services? And I always say, well, in my mind, my challenge, since I was a young <laughs> youngster in the professional world, in my mind, I was never thinking about me being a woman. In my mind, I was always thinking, oh, I'm a foreigner. Uh, so that that was the thing, different accents, where sometimes I didn't understand them, sometimes they do understand them. So there was this limiting belief in my mind that I was not from the UK, let's say. Uh, so I think because of that, I felt that just to be average, let's say, I have to go the extra mile because I had to prove myself because I was not, quote unquote, one of them. I don't know if that's true or not, but probably that's looking back, that's what I was trying to do because you asked me how did that shape, shape me? So. What I did, it's like I went into all these big corporates and because I need to work harder to be normal, then I learned a lot. That's it. <laughs> it's like, and I became really good at what I do just by default of trying to be normal. And probably all that was in my mind. So when I moved to the startup world, let's say I have these very strong foundations that I learned in the very first half of my career. So that was key. I don't know if I would have done the same in the same way if I would have stayed home, for example. Uh, because yeah, I was yeah a woman in a male-dominated environment and a foreigner. So I, I felt like I had to pedal twice as much just to do that. You know, it, it's so interesting that you mentioned this because I, I believe I've been in the last uh, four or five episodes, I do believe that this has actually come out as a point where, uh, where we you know, where our guests have told us that, hey, I, I had to work, I felt like I had to work harder uh, just to be uh, perceived at par with, with my peers uh, as an immigrant. And I, and I, and, you know, I, I'm, and I really love how you, uh, how you put that into a positive spin where you said that, hey, because I had to work so hard, I learned so much more in the process and I, mm -hmm. it kind of accelerated my career in a way. And I really, I really like that because I think you're, you're the first person I'm hearing who's actually putting that positive spin to the fact that this is a reality that, that, that immigrants may have to face in a different country. Yes. Well, I'm probably, I, I had not even realized that, but across all the challenges that I've had, because whatever reason, I'm like, because of that, I've had to kind of look work a little bit uh, further, faster, whatever you want, like go a little bit beyond. But because of that, I am where I am today because I had to do extra that's, work. That's awesome. And it may have been just my mindset, but uh, it shaped me. That's who I am now. And now it's not, oh, because I'm a foreigner, oh, because I'm a woman. No, now it's like, that's just who I who am. You are. Yeah. I'll always go beyond, a woman beyond. That's why I have a podcast. <laughs> I don't need to have a podcast. <laughs> I go above and beyond. <laughs> That's awesome. That's actually, again, I feel like you set me up for the next question really well. Speaking of podcasts, uh, you started uh, the, the the FinTech product podcast uh, and purpose, the purpose-driven uh, FinTech podcast, which I think was earlier called the FinTech product podcast, if I'm mm -hmm. not mistaken. Uh, yes. So I'd, I'd like to know, why podcasting? Like, what was that decision where you're like, where you woke up one day and said, okay, I think I, I want to get into this space, even though there's so many podcasts out there, that it's a challenging experience. Like what led you to, to start and, and how was your journey in thus far? Yeah, I guess like that was a personal evolution as such. Uh, so the podcast started as a COVID project. Boring, you know, like we were all bored at home. Yeah. All of us. <laughs> Properly stuck stuck at home. And then it felt like it was forever. So for me, it was like COVID. I, li I lived on my own. So like at some point you stop, you're like, oh, I've called everyone that I haven't spoken in the past 20 years. <laughs> I, you're like, what am I going to call now? So it was like, it was really hard at some point. Then 
kind of had gone through a mini breakup slash breakup slash work was difficult because it's COVID and all that stuff. And um, yeah, it was not easy. So when it when it gets tough, I like, I'm like, I'm going to say this in the podcast, but anyways, when it gets tough, I like putting quotes, you know, quotes in the bathroom and you're like, ah, oh, yeah, I just see the quotes. And then one day I was crying. <laughs> and then I was kind of like crying and I look up and I saw one of the quotes and I said, enough is enough. That's it. Enough is enough. Like stop these, like snap out of these not good energy that it was a combination of everything and I asked myself like I well I told myself I have to reinvent myself I need to go back to what is it that I liked and I was like yeah what did you like and then I was like oh yeah I used to love coaching I used to do tons of coaching prior to the startup world I was like yeah and I don't do any of that I'm just like working a ton and that's it and the other thing it's like maybe two years before leaving the UK or so, I did tell my boss at the time, I was like, hey, Nick, I would love, love to start a talk show. Don't ask me why. I'm like, I would love to start a talk show. And he came from the media industry. So I was like, what do I have to do? He was like, oh, you need an audience or you need a topic. You know, like he gave me all these three things and I didn't have any of those. I was like, oh, I don't have an audience. I don't have like the network, this, the other. But then when I was asking myself, what did I like to do? I was like, oh, I had this dream of having a talk show. And I was like, and things have changed between that time and now. And now with COVID, everything is kind of becoming very digital, super fast. I was like, why don't you start? And that's it. And that's the beginning of the podcast. And the beginning of the podcast actually was not about fintech. It was about personal development, women, and entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. It started in Spanish. I did two episodes and I stopped. And then I was like, oh, no, I don't like this. Then three months later or so, I picked it up again. And then little by little, I was super inconsistent for about two years. Um, and then little by little, I, I got hooked into learning the podcasting art as such, to learning social media into the, I don't know if it happens to you guys, but like when I come in the, podcasting uh in front of the microphone it's like another monica kind of comes up it it brings out the this different type of passion that you might not show at work for example so it kind of like brought that energy out of me so over time i was like oh i like this and then people were like oh you're good at it i was like oh my it's not a good podcast and eventually i got feedback that it's like hey have you ever thought about like merging like podcasting that your thing and work as in fintech. I'm like, no, no, no way, no way, no way, no way. And then I got like three to four people telling me the same story just to make the story short. Uh, and eventually I was like, why not? So basically what I did, it's like one day I just changed the name of the previous podcast. And I was like, well, I work in fintech, work in product, doing a podcast. Let's call it fintech product podcast. I had a few interviews in that style topic And then I was like, oh, I could do this. And eventually I made the decision to close the podcast because that was kind of a working product. So I was like, oh, that was like my version one of my product, my baby, podcast baby, closed it down. And then I was like, okay, now let's relaunch and think properly because I did initially, I did not use the product brain to build a podcast. It was just a hobby. And then I was like, okay, cool. Now let's think about what's the purpose of the podcast. How could I do it? Let's improve the processes, have consistency, this, the other. That's it. And then I launched Purpose Driven Fintech, which has been really cool. And it's been well received by the fintech community. Which is it's great to hear, especially like given even my first podcast, which I, which I began, like it was in the pandemic. In the pandemic, I bought two things. Uh, I bought um, an egg beater, like an electric egg beater, because I was really getting into baking. And I bought <laughs> and I bought a mic, a podcast mic. So <laughs> I've lost the egg beater since. I don't know where it is. Uh, don't tell anyone about it. But the mic is but still here. The mic, the mic is still here. And initially, cool. it, was just more of a, it was just more of a way to get... Uh, I began because see, I, apart from work, I worked in marketing, worked marketing all my life. It's not like I've, it's been a long career. It's just been under eight years. 
but I did have a passion for film and media. So I kind of wanted an avenue for where I could put content out consistently. And I, my whole thing was, I'm going to make this for myself. I'm going to try and keep a format for it. And hopefully we have an audience and it slowly began to attract an audience. And more than anything else, it began, I began to learn about the art of podcasting. And once you get bit by that bug, mm -hmm. you would just start to like explore that you, okay, find different ways of trying to see, okay, how can I make my podcast better? Or the iPhone has a continuity camera that, um, that I can now use for video. How can I incorporate video into the podcast? So when Vivek and I began this podcast, the idea was purely audio. And I think three episodes and I said, Vivek, don't worry about it. Let's we'll pivot to video. And he was like, are you sure? But I said, don't know. We've got to go like find the YouTube audience because this would really, this format would really work for, let's say, a, a YouTube audience. So I looked at ways how, how I could edit the podcast, how I could incorporate AI into it. And it just became this beast. So... Uh, and the idea was to slowly grow it and build an audience and then release short form content across social, which kind of pricked like much like you, like how you brought your, the fintech side of you into it. I brought the marketing side of me into it. I'm like, okay, how can I grow this? I've grown communities in the past. How can we look to grow this community? So it was, uh, it, it one thing led to another and just <laughs> and here we are. Yes, I see it as creative expression. It's an outlet for creative expression and growth. So I, I, I got dropped off for a second, so I lost the, the train of thought, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just going to take up the next question. Um, mm. so, so, you know, one of, the, one of the things you spoke about was uh, passion, right? So you said you're extremely passionate about fintech and you were, you were passionate about something you felt you were passionate about was coaching and then you got into podcasting. And all of these were driven by passion. So um, I guess the question is, how did you find that you were passionate about fintech? Uh, how did you find that you were passionate about some of the things you are? And how do you suggest that that uh, the listeners and people in general find find the thing that they're passionate about? Hmm. That's a that's a difficult question. Um, I think at the beginning, I tried many things. So I would summarize it as follow the feeling or follow the energy, follow the energy. So if you do something, you try things out and it gives you energy. You're like, oh, that is cool. I like that. So follow that. If you do something and you're like baking, <laughs> you're like you bought the thing, but you're like, uh, lost the interest in like two weeks. <laughs> you don't give you the energy, but the podcasting thing, yeah. you're like, oh yeah, it gives me energy. I want to do more. So one, it's like, it's that. It's just like, try many things, follow the energy. That's, I guess, like how it started, especially with, especially with coaching, especially with um, the podcast. But I think it started with follow the energy. But what made it more of a passion, it's like I saw progress. I saw that I was learning. I saw that I was growing. So for me, probably it's fueled by growth. When it comes to fintech, it was not the case. When it comes to fintech, it's a choice. At some point... I was like, I think I'm done. <laughs> like, I'm going to change industries. I can do product in another industry, this, the other. But there comes a moment where you say, where, where I said, either you stay and you go full on or you change. And then you decide. So I did not become passionate about fintech because I was so passionate about fintech became passionate about it because one day I made a decision that I was here for the long term and I was here to stay and therefore I was going to make the best out of it and therefore I was going to be of service to the community and then it's kind of uh, it just starts again follow the energy it starts feeding you because then you now you're not just going for work you are part of community you are part of the industry you you feel like, oh, yeah, now given that this is something that we're growing together, I'm going to help the next generation because I don't want them to go through what I went through. I can just tell them, don't do those mistakes. So I think that one, it's two ways. One, try many things, but I do believe that at some point you make a decision. You're like, I like this and I'm going to stick with it. And that's it. That's where the fuel and the fire and the determination and the discipline keeps you going. By choice, not by passion. It's not passion on its own. It's discipline, and it's a choice. 
I, th- I think that's so interesting uh, because you pointed out that there are two kinds. I mean, at least what I'm taking from this is that there are two kinds of uh, there are two kinds of things that happen here. The one is uh, the the thing that you naturally gravitate to, which is the Monica mm-hmm. getting into a podcast or Roger Federer getting into tennis, right? There's a natural inclination that a person yeah. has, and they go into that. The second one is um, where we we expect that most of us expect that we need to find something that you know, not everyone is as fortunate as. Monica getting into podcasting or Roger Federer getting into tennis, right? Many of us don't find that. And I think what what you're saying is, even if you don't find that, uh, you know, you can carry passion with you into whatever you do, and you can make that a passion, which is what you did with yes. you know with fintech. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. I'll add to that. I didn't like my I job. Like my job. I disliked my job for a long time, whether that was at banking or at some points. I had moments when I was in fintech and I really didn't like it. So it genuinely, it's a decision to like it. And because also you're like, you're good at it. You You start seeing the intersection of, I've got the years of experience, I've got the talent, like I'm good at it. I might not love it, but I'm good at it. And then you go like, well, what if I did? What if I did love it? You're like, okay, let's give this a try. Yeah. And, 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 honestly, and of course, it's a journey. It's a journey. Yeah, it's a journey. It's not over. Yeah. And if you do anything with passion for some time, it's inevitable that you will become good at it. Right. So the, the main thing is doing it, sticking the, staying the course and doing it with passion. Then you will become good at it, no matter what it is. Agree. It might take you time. Yeah. I'm still the newbie podcaster. <laughs> so am yeah. I. Abhin, Abhin is not. Abhin, so am I. <laughs> I'm a newbie. I'm a newbie. Oh no! Please, please. I am. I am very new. I, I, I mean, this is still. I am still learning, and I, I don't think that will ever stop. Uh, speaking of things that of, exactly. of, of getting good. Yeah. Uh, speaking of being extremely good at things, you were the you were the, one of the founding members of, of the team at BigPay, which is now one of the largest neo banks in Southeast Asia. Uh, so, I mean, I'd, I'd love to know the story behind uh, how the how the launch of it went how difficult it was, how, what challenges you faced, not just as a person working in the company, but also as an immigrant la- launching this new concept, because new banks are a fairly new concept uh, in, in a new country. Like, how was that for you? I guess like by now we are almost a six-year-old company. So we've had any startup, we'll have ups and downs. Whoever doesn't say that, it's lying. <laughs> it is just hard because like, you are starting something that's it it's like you're building something with limited resources with a lot of pressure constraints on time so it's high intensity but then it was not the first time that i was building a bank from scratch so that's that's good context because i had already seen in the uk well i've not seen like i was part of the team in the uk building a bank from scratch so i kind of knew the concepts of how to do it. Of course, you don't come and just replicate, but at least you know, you kind of have a map. So that helped a lot, as in having a map in my mind. And what helped me a lot was I would ask myself, what could my ex-boss do? What would my other ex-boss do? So I I say like I channeled channeled my ex-boss's wisdom. And that's how I did my first six months. That it was like, what could they do? Oh, they could do this. Okay, cool. And that's what that's how I kind of like went about it. And it was challenging because fintech at the time was quite of a new thing. It was a new industry across the world. But when I moved to Malaysia, it was just the very, very, very beginning of the industry. There were two or three other players launching at the same time, which were part of big conglomerates. So the the our customers were not used to putting my money in a new bank what do you mean like why would i give you my money if you're a new player in the industry uh so it was difficult from that perspective and difficult building the the thing ground up for me personally it was very difficult because not only we were building a startup from scratch with all the complications that it has but I was in a country that's very different to Mexico and the UK in where I didn't have a support network, 
So the personal journey, that's why I said I, I cried for three months. The personal <laughs> journey was very difficult. But at the same time, like because it was a new region, I was like, oh, and I get to travel, and I get to travel. And I was motivated by the carrot in front of me that I was like, oh, which country are you going to go next? And I just like kept myself going because of travel. And then that's it, we, here we are. I passed the test. Yeah, and there's just one thing to add. There was one day that um, I was, I didn't have friends, right, at the beginning. Uh, not even at work, like, I was, I came as a boss. So people don't become friends with the boss. The boss goes, yeah. goes and has lunch on her own every day. That's it, a foreigner boss woman. Like, I was on my own, right? And I was having lunch on my own one day. And I remember I read an article, blog post or something, from an Olympic um, skate dancer. And basically she tells her story. And probably that's also inspired me to kind of like share it because uh, she tells her story about one day she goes to her mom and she says, mom, I want to quit. That's it, this is not for me, I'm done, da 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 da. And her mom tells her, I'm going to support you whatever you want. You just need to promise me one thing. You have to wait until have until you have one good day. You stay, you continue, continue, continue. You don't quit. The day that you have a good day, you make the decision. And then if you have a good day and you still you want to quit, then you quit. And that kind of hit me. And I was like, man, this is hard. But then, and it was kind of an ongoing thing. And I would tell myself, you wait until you have a good day and then you quit. You wait until you have a good day and then you quit. And of course I didn't. I think that's a deeply philosophical concept, right? Because I, I think the one thing I've heard in the recent past is if you have a problem and you try to run away from it, uh, invariably the universe is gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna throw that problem at your face in the next thing that you do. And unless you face it, overcome it, and conquer it, it's not going to go away. And I think if you're able to find that happiness, which means you're able to overcome that problem that you're having in, in whatever you're doing. Uh, and I think that's deeply philosophical. That, that's truly amazing what, what, what you just said. Thank you. I borrowed it from someone else. <laughs> but that touched me. <laughs> it's so, still found advice. Yeah, it's good spirit, right? <laughs> You know, so I, I know Abin wants to wants to ask uh, stay and ask another question on fintech, but I want to ask one one question. You know, it's slightly slightly pivoting. Um, the, you know, we we spoke about you being an immigrant moving across different countries. We spoke about your work. We spoke about your personal passion. The one thing we haven't touched upon is is visa, right? And I think that's a, that's mm. a very that's a very deeply. I mean, you, you you can't say immigration without saying visa, right? So. Um, as you move through these countries, talk us through how did you overcome some of the the constraints and challenges of being on different visas, and how and how how was that how did that impact you personally? Yeah. Well, the reality is, for most of us, you need a visa to work legally <laughs> in another country, so you need to find a way. So my journey started with. I'm moving to the UK to study my master's, right? So you need a student visa. When I got to the UK, it was maybe end August. By end September, beginning of, of October, I didn't know in my country they didn't have this, but all the big banks and consulting firms and everything, beginning of, of October, they go to campus and they start recruiting for the graduate programs for next year. And I was like, what? You know, and it's like, oh yeah, you can secure work now for next year. And if you secure that, then they give you a visa. And I was like, oh, wait a second. But remember we were in 2008. So all this is like, no one is hiring. But back then it's like, you do need to be proactive. Uh, you need to do your research. Back then I kind of like, we were many international students. So few of us were like, I want to stay whatever it takes we want to stay we want to stay we want to stay and then we discovered there was a very specific visa type that you could swap from student to a work permit so 90 percent of the people stayed because they got a job and then they were sponsored i stayed because i did my research and then i hired a lawyer i did not risk it 
as in, you know, I invested in myself. I did yeah. not risk filling in an application the wrong way because you're out. That's what everybody told us. So I had a good friend from Pakistan and I, we were both kind of like obsessed. <laughs> we're like, we're going to get this. And then, but it's true. It's like the friend helps a lot. Having the friend going through the same thing as you helps a lot because it's, it, it helps you stay in the path and it also helps you share knowledge and, and questions and this and the other. So between this guy and I, then we figured out, okay, cool, there's this application form that if you come from certain university, you can extend and get a work permit. And that's it. That's what he did. That's what I did. I sponsored myself. And then every two years, I had to pay the visa fees. I had to pay the lawyer's fees because I was determined. And I had to ensure that I looked after my job <laughs> because if I looked my if I lost my job, then I would not have the minimum income to meet the requirements to get the visa. So that visa was like gold for me because it was like, because of that, that I was staying there. So I was never sponsored. I always had my own visa. That's probably one of my biggest achievements. It's not the work thing. It's especially those first 10 years. It was the, I sponsored myself. No one sponsored me. I saved, I did the research. I did the due diligence. I lived my life in such a way that I could secure that visa. And then it's like, when I moved to Malaysia, yes, I am sponsored. And I'm very, very grateful for that. But at the same time, in the back of my head, I know, you know, you always know that it could just go away anytime because the government changes the rules and you're like, oh. So what the impact that it has, it's a, it makes you appreciate what you currently have because you don't know when it's going to go and you just need to be ready to move if it happens yeah it really helps because so many you're like and if you look at the us you have the h1b's and you look at uh the uk the tier two visas and so much of it is dependent on being sponsored and you always have that that sword hanging above your head in case there are there are mass layoffs like say this year and and the last year yeah where suddenly you have to pivot. And, but in a scenario like yours, where you have control of your narrative, yes, you've got your, your job as back as backup, but you're not sponsored. So that, that financial hit the company, like the, the company is not thinking of your position from a, from a financial perspective when it comes to the visa. And, and, that, is, and that itself is, is worth a good night's sleep because you go to bed thinking, yeah. okay, I have control of this narrative. I can if things go south in any particular way, I still have more room to navigate as opposed to, let's say, somebody else. I think the same with Vivek as well, where compared to like, because uh, Vivek is now on, I hope you don't mind me saying, uh, I mean, you now you, you, you now have your, uh, you're not on the H1B, you're, uh, you're, you're a green card holder. So okay. that itself removes a Congrats. big weight off your shoulders. <laughs> it does, it, 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 it does, it does, yeah. it does. No, it it does. It it definitely makes a difference. Um, especially, I mean, it. I mean, it's it's circumstantial. Again, everyone has their own journeys, but, uh, yeah, I do feel very grateful that it it worked out the way it did. Yeah. Uh, been looking at the time, do we just do maybe one more question? Did, did you you want to take that? Yeah, I think we'll uh we'll we spent. Uh, I've we've asked so many questions on fintech, Monica. I think we'll we'll just try and pivot to the final question that we have. Uh, so you've obviously had a, had a lot of experience uh, launching new products and, and expanding into different markets. Is there are there any valuable lessons or tips that uh, or any sort of advice you'd give to aspiring entrepreneurs in the fintech space when it comes to launching a fintech in a new geography or when it comes to what? Yeah, I mean, like yeah, in a new geography that 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 yeah that would be uh, that's kind of more accurate. Oh, that's a very broad question. But I guess like the most important thing is you need to ensure that there is a need that you are solving customer problems. Just today I was at work and we were doing our product thing. We were looking at research. Uh, we did a survey and then it said that, I don't remember if it was our survey. We looked at somebody else's survey. It said 70% of people don't buy these because they don't need it. 20% don't buy it because of the cost. It's too high. Oh, I was like, what? People are not price sensitive. It is just people don't need the thing. So like with 
any business, not just in fintech, any business, you need to ensure that you are solving a customer problem. Why are they going to buy something from you? It's, they need it, not because it's nice and beautiful. There's tons of competition. So you need to ensure that you're solving a real customer need and then that you do it in a really, really good way. That's the basics. No fancy, fancy. It's like basics, basics, boring yeah. basics. Do that, do it well. It's not easy. That's why it's basics. It's not easy. Master the basics. I mean, I, I think I really enjoyed this conversation with you, Monica. Thank you so much uh, once again for being being a guest with us. Uh, I, I, I think this was a very, it's one of the more philosophical conversations I've had. So I think, you know, in almost every question towards towards the last few, we were touching upon some aspect of philosophy. So that was great. Um, really, really enjoyed this conversation. I think I learned a lot personally, uh, uh, you know, about your journey, about your struggles. We, uh, I really appreciated how vulnerable and open you are. I think that's a sign of a, of a great human being and a great leader. So I really appreciate, appreciated that. Um, thank you so much for joining us. I know, I know I really enjoyed this conversation yes. and, uh, I hope, I, I hope to stay in touch. Thank you once again for responding Thanks. to the LinkedIn and, you know, making this happen. Thank you. No, the pleasure was mine. Genuinely, I, I really enjoyed the conversation too. Thank you, Vivek. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was, it was a really fun, engaging, informative conversation. Uh, and I've had a, a great time. I've taken some really great lessons from it specifically the last point that you made about sticking to the basics and mastering it and eventually things will sort themselves out. So that's uh, that's a great lesson for, for all of us now because not from a podcasting perspective, but generally for us to take into life. So that was was super informative and, and a really fun episode, Monica. I must say I had a really great time talking to you. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. And yeah, that's us. That's us on another episode, Vic. Uh, this was a really nice, nice episode as we've just waxed lyrical about it. So uh, we'll see you on the next one. Until then, uh, take care.